Father, as we open your word, show us the Savior. Show us the Messiah. Show us our King as he is. And show us ourselves as we are. May it function as a mirror today that we would see ourselves as you see us. And that when we walk away from it, we would not forget what you showed us through your word. Father, help me to teach today rightly and well. And help all who hear to discern and to hold on to what is good. Uh, Father, we, uh, we open your word up today and we open ourselves up to your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. Excuse me. David Huey is uh, preaching a Palm Sunday student, uh, Palm Sunday sermon in Alcoa today, maybe at this very moment. But uh, last Sunday in this pulpit, he set up, he did a setup for me for the sermon you're about to hear, and he did it by contrasting the uh, ancient Israel's desire for a king of its own design with the kind of kingship and the kind of king that God had in mind for them and for us. And those two things were not the same. And he was exactly right about that. Those two things were not the same at all. The nation's idea, the people's idea for a king was King Saul, who looked the part. The Bible says that straight out. He looked the part. He would look, good. he would look as good on a coin as any of the other kings from any of the other kingdoms. He would look good sitting on a horse, leading the, leading the troops into battle. But, of course, he lacked the... Uh, the heart and the depth of soul that uh, really should have gone with the position. And if, and God said, if they insisted on placing their hope and trust in the human king and, and not simply having King Yahweh as their king, the Lord's choice was a young man named David, who did not at all look the part, uh, didn't have the pedigree, wasn't the oldest of his brothers. But of course, the Lord does not see as a man sees, but he looks at the heart. So it really is a good setup for Palm Sunday because there's a very clear and striking contrast between how people saw Jesus to whom they gave that royal welcome, there's no mistake about it, on, on that Palm Sunday event, and the Jesus as Jesus knew himself to be. And Jesus who he was and Jesus who he is. And, and, and it is a contrast that, well that every Christian at one time or another in his life, and really maybe in some ways all through life, uh, struggles with even now. And hopefully grows through, hopefully grows through it as he lives out the Christian life, but it's the contrast between the king we want and the king we've got. Or the contrast between the king we think we want and the king we've got. Uh, the point is often made by preachers, Christian teachers, commentators, that the divine purpose, God's purpose in Jesus' miracles was to authenticate his claims of deity, you know, to demonstrate that Jesus was who he said he was, the unique son of God, the embodiment of God in human flesh. And that's true. It's true as far as it goes, but it doesn't go far enough. It's too minimalistic. It, it's more than that. 
And it, but it's true. John 10, 37, 38, he said, Jesus says to his critics, his opponents, he says, if I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe, believe in the works in the miracles. Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. So Jesus says the point of these miracles is so that you'll know I'm telling you the truth that, I, that the, I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. He says the same things to his friends. In John 14, we read, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves so he says the same things he says that to the his opponents his un, the unbelievers he says that to those who believe he says if you don't believe what i say you should believe because of the works that i do nobody could do this unless he was from the father heal the sick give sight to the blind hearing to the deaf cleanse the lepers so it's true that the miracles of Jesus were meant to authenticate his claims of deity, but it's, it's not just that. There's more than that. They tell us more than that. If, if, if the miracles were only about proving Jesus' divine nature, then I, I think we would expect many more impressive miracles of just sheer power. Just power. It, he, he, maybe he could perform the miracle suggested by Satan at his temptation. He could throw himself from the pinnacle of the temple in front of a great big crowd, and surely they would believe when he just came and rested. The angels guarded him up and just put his feet gently on the ground. Surely they would believe then. Or maybe, you know, just power. Or he could make the clouds form a letter that says, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> in Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew. He could do something like that. But we see, but as it is in the Bible, in the New Testament, we see very few miracles of sheer power that are just show, that do that maybe only that. Jesus walking on the water maybe. Jesus walking on the water. Although although witness of that is confined to the 12. <laughs> or... Uh, Jesus calming the storm, maybe. Also witnessed just by the kind of the inner circle. But, you know, miracles of power. But instead, we see miracles of power, but they're almost all, with very few exceptions, also miracles of compassion, aren't they? They're miracles of compassion. He, he Like I said, he gives sight to the blind, hearing of the deaf. He makes the lame and the crippled be able to walk. He touches the leper, and it's not him who's made unclean, like the Old Testament says, if you touch a leper, you're made unclean. But when Jesus touches the leper, the leper's made clean. He raises the dead. He frees the demon oppressed and possessed. They're miracles 
almost the, the great preponderance of them are miracles of compassion, miracles of power, yes, but they're miracles of compassion. They help people who are under the sentence of sin and death. So the miracles, uh, they not only authenticate his claims of deity and messiahship, they also demonstrate the heart of God toward fallen, sinful people. And they rescue, he res they rescue people from the sentence of sin and death, from the consequences of sin. They, they do that because death is the result of sin, right? The Apostle Paul puts it succinctly, the wages of sin is death. And that doesn't mean we should look at people who have maybe recently passed away or people who are seriously ill or, and ha or have a significant lifelong handicap like blindness or deafness or lameness and say, and, and say like the Pharisees said, whoa, they must have done something bad. <laughs> what did they do to deserve that? You know, and then by implication, they say, I'm glad I'm not that wicked. <laughs> glad that's not me. So it doesn't mean that. But it does mean that when the human race turned away from God who gave us life, we invited in death and all its horrible little down payments. <laughs> Everything, physical illness, mental illness disease, everything that diminishes humanity and human life as God made it, and ultimately de death. And, and Jesus made this, that connection crystal clear. He says, Matthew 9, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, the paralyzed person, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. He's the one that draws the connection. <laughs> If you are in Christ, one day you will be able to exalt and say it from your heart and mean it like you've never meant it before. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? And you'll be able to say that because at that time, death will be no more. Death will be no more. And death will be no more because sin will be no more. There'll be no wages to pay. But I'm getting myself myself, but like by about a week. I'm about one week ahead of myself. As Jesus was performing all these miracles, demonstrating the heart of God to rescue fallen and sinful people from the sentence of sin and death, he was sometimes asked to do things that had nothing to do with that. He was sometimes asked to do things because he had all this power. Obviously, he was sometimes asked to do things that had nothing to do with his mission of rescuing people from the sentence of sin and death. And on those occasions, it tended not to go well, at least for the petitioner. I'll cite three such cases. When I, when I, say, when I just cite the three, you'll probably think of more. If you know your Bible, you'll be able to think of a few more. But I just uh, want to highlight three. First, in Luke chapter 12, we read this. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, 
who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, so he says to the larger people, everyone, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Well, there it is. How would you have liked to have had a, a personal encounter with Jesus in the flesh and that be it? <laughs> How would you have liked to have had a chance to talk to Jesus and ask him something and that's it? You know, wouldn't that be awful? I mean, what a smackdown. But you, but you see the point there. It's the king we want versus the king we've got. Don't you, don't you think the person that asks that request, you know, teacher, make my brother share the inheritance with me. Don't you think that he was absolutely convinced of the righteousness of his cause? We don't know the details, of course. But we can we can surmise, you know, the brother's treating him unfairly. He's not he's not sharing the inheritance with him. He's hoarding it. Surely Jesus will agree and make my brother do the right thing. Jesus has to be for the right thing, right? But his request had nothing to do with Jesus' mission. Had nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with blessing and delivering. Nothing to do with the blessing deliverance that, that Jesus would give that man who asked if he was open to it. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. His authority is ultimate. But here's what you kind of see in that. He will not be reduced to being our divine, omnipotent fixer. Aaron boy he invites us to be a part of his kingdom he does not put himself in the service of building our kingdom well that's one example you know if someone asked Jesus for a favor that doesn't is not connected to his mission as Jesus sees it and didn't go well Here's another example. This is Matthew 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. He said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one on your right hand and one on your left, in your kingdom. So James and John want the prime places of honor in the coming kingdom, and they kind of play on Jesus' compassion to get what they want by getting their mommy to make the ask... And we know they're with her. Mommy comes with them. She makes the ask. But we know they're with her because Jesus immediately asked them if they were able to drink the cup that he will drink. So are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they say, and they're right there. They say, we should, where's the effect? Absolutely. Absolutely. They're right there. We, we won't read the whole passage but essentially, Jesus says, "What's his? How does he respond?" Jesus says, "Wrong question, <laughs> and more than wrong question, wrong attitude." 
wrong attitude. This isn't about, he says in effect, this isn't about attaining a position where you can look down on everyone else. This is about becoming a servant of all where you're looking up to everybody else. Like when you do, he could have said, you know this is from John, um, like when you do when you're washing somebody's feet. You see it? It's the king we want versus the king we have. Third example. This is beginning of Matthew 16. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and to test him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. Now, a sign from heaven, you know, a sign from heaven, what's that mean? A sign from heaven indicates that they were asking for something, uh, well, for one, spectacular. Uh, it also suggests that they were unimpressed, relatively unimpressed, by all that he'd done before. There was a superstition among the Jewish people at that time. And, and whether this is a reference to that, it's, it's unclear whether this is a reference to that. But it, this could be what's behind that. Show us a sign from heaven. There was a superstition among the Jewish people at that time that Satan could perform miracles on earth. But only God could perform miracles in the heavens, like in the sky, in the stars, in the clouds, in the planets. Satan could do stuff here. So that's, and they'd already made the charge, hadn't they, that, you know, he only casts out demons by the prince of the demons, Beelzebul. So maybe that's what they were, maybe that's what's behind that. Show us a sign from heaven that we know Satan can't do. So maybe, you know, he wanted, they wanted him to turn the moon to blood, you know, make it be red or... Or maybe that skywriting I was talking about. But there's something that will convince us, they said, beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have power from God. But they don't come in faith, or even they don't even come in what we might call good faith, like open. Because we're told here in the text, they've come to have their unbelief validated. They have come to test him. In, their, in other words, they're rooting for him to fail the test. They want to overload his capacity. And though they might not even know it, in their heart of hearts, they want Jesus to prove unable to perform the miracle so that they'll be justified in their unbelief to which they were committed, whether they were kidding themselves about it or not. That, that's basically that right there is basically the same fortress of unbelief for many unbelievers I talk to. And, and it's even a stumbling block for faith among believers. And here's how it goes. Okay, we read all these miracles. It's all good and well to read all about them. But where's mine? Where was mine? I didn't have a brother named Lazarus, but I had a brother who was sick, and Jesus didn't come in time to save him, though I sent for him. And he sure didn't come a few days later and raise him from the dead. I asked, 
but he didn't provide the sign that I was looking for. Not just looking for, the sign that I demanded as a condition for my belief. So, I don't believe. The king we want would use his authority and power to arrange our lives as we would have them. And like I say, we all struggle with this. The king we want would use his power and authority to make things the way we want them to be. That's from the hospital prayer to the parking lot prayer. <laughs> and he's a gracious king who delights in giving good gifts to his children, but the king we've got has his own purposes in and for our lives, and we can catch a glimpse of them sometimes only by faith. Only by faith. It's only by faith, for example, that we, quote, rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Sounds like a Bible verse, doesn't it? It is. Romans 3. The king's, we have a king, but the king's agenda for us may not be a long and relatively free of trouble kind of life. Now, what do we know? What can we know about the king's agenda for us? We know the king's agenda for us is our sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification, being more free from sin, less controlled by sin, less under its domination, more like Christ. Even We know the king's agenda for us even involves something we can scarcely get our arms around, our holiness, our holiness. We know the king's agenda for us is for the validation and strengthening of our faith, which really only happens in, significantly in trial. We, we know his agenda for us is fitting us for eternal life. We, we know his agenda for us is for the advancement, is to use us somehow in the advancement of his kingdom no matter what the assignment is, what the specific assignment is that's given to each one of us individually. You know, it's different for all of us, it seems, but for each of us, but, it, but it, we know that his agenda is to use us for the advancement of his kingdom. He's, he's the king. <laughs> He's the king, and we are the citizens of his kingdom, and it is not the other way around. He's not our ace in the hole, our trump card, our main weapon that we have to increase our kingdom. 
the crowds at Palm Sunday, at that first Palm Sunday event, did not know the nature of the king whom they were giving. They really were giving a king's welcome. In fact, they didn't even know he was a king. Even though they're giving him this royal welcome, you know, riding on a colt like Old Testament style, like the king coming in, King David, King, like King David did, laying down the palm branches, laying down their co coats, giving them the red carpet treatment. They, the words that they said were from the 118th Psalm, and they, you know, they were the ones sung at Passover time, and they are really, it's a royal welcome. And really, prophetically, the, the, the blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the son of David. Hosanna, the son of David. He's the promised king. That's what, that's what the word said. He's the promised king. The one that was promised to King David, a descendant who would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And really, blessed is he who comes in the Lord is, is pretty much also a, a uh, claim of his divine kingship, just the same as the son of David is. And yet, when they're asked what all the, what's all the fuss about, they say, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Which, once again, is true as far as it goes. But if that's what you say Jesus is, you're missing the bigger part of it. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, he's, this is a, a prophet of Jesus from Nazareth. It, it, it's kind of like saying that George Washington was an 18th century government official. Which is true, <laughs> right? But if that's what you say George Washington, you, you, there's a lot you don't know. <laughs> you're missing the bigger the bigger part and those who cried out hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord they showed zero awareness of who this personage is that they're celebrating that he's the the son of david who would establish god's kingdom forever he's him who has come in the name of the lord from heaven itself can you imagine people saying true things about Jesus. Now think about this. Can you imagine people saying or singing true things about Jesus in a context of worship like that was without any personal or real faith or insight into the truth of the words that they were saying or hearing or singing or repeating? Well, if you can't imagine that, you don't have much of an imagination. <laughs> because it certainly happens in churches all over, I won't even say all over the country or the world, all over town. On any, kind, any Sunday at all, singing these true and profound and worshipful words. But no insight in here, no connection in here. And I'm not saying it doesn't even happen here. It can happen here, too. I, I th when I think about this, I think, it, I think it happens a lot at Christmas time. Less and less as the years go by, but 
you know, Christmas was kind of draws in a bigger circle than just the church and, and everybody does it. I think of people and what they really believe or really don't believe. They're singing, they're singing things like, uh, late in time, behold him come, offspring of the virgin's womb. They don't believe any of it. I'm convinced that the worshipers, if you if you can call them that, at that first Palm Sunday event had no real appreciation for what was happening or what they were a part of. And if, and if whatever shallow faith some of them may have had would evaporate in the events of the coming week. By Friday, and this, to show you this is true, by Friday, even the 11 remaining disciples... You have the inner circle will be dispersed, defeated, disillusioned, despondent. And even on Sunday, even on Sunday, two of Jesus' followers, not from the inner circle because one of them's named Cleopas and the other one's unnamed, this road to Emmaus, they would tell the risen Jesus who's with them, who they did not recognize yet, they would tell the risen Jesus, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. But, you know, sadly, he, was, he did not turn out to be the king we wanted. He didn't turn out to be the king we expected. And what they didn't know yet was he was the king they got. I, ironically, on that first Palm Sunday, there was one group of people who kind of got what it was all about there there was one group of people who knew well what it meant to say about jesus hosanna to the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord there was one group of people who kind of understood it and the irony of it it was jesus sworn enemies the religious leadership of israel the pharisees the chief priests the scribes Matthew tells us that after the royal welcome, the first thing the king did was to cleanse the temple, which is also ironic because he cleaned it by making a mess. <laughs> he cleansed it by turning over the tables. He over it made a mess of their money-making scheme. So the first thing the king does is to clean up God's house spiritually to the great consternation of those who ran the house. He comes as judge. He, he comes to cleanse from sin. How's that for a king nobody's really looking for? How's that for a king that nobody really, instinctively at least, wants? Well, at the end of the passage, we read it earlier. The blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But, well, that's a king we want right there. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? In other words, make them stop. Make them be quiet. They are mouthing, because they get it. 
they are mouthing these children in the temple saying all these hosanna the son of david blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord they are mouthing these they said these ridiculous claims that you jesus are the promised son of david that you're the king of the jews and not of the jews only but ultimately of the whole world the king of kings and lord of lords surely you do not endorse jesus this shocking and audacious and false description of yourself so make them shut up and the next verse reads and jesus said to them yes have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise quoting the old testament so he says no i'll not correct them luke in his account tells us something else that the jesus said earlier to the pharisees this is earlier when the they still you know there's the procession is still going on and in lucas says and he was drawing near already on the way down to the mount down the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise god with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen saying blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord peace in heaven and glory in the highest and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Same thing. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. In other words, this is so significant, there has to be praise. Even if it's dumb, uninformed praise offered without understanding at all, which it was. So on this Palm Sunday, or any Sunday, uh, don't you be that stone crying out. You've been taught better than that. You know better than that. Don't, don't be one who mouths great eternal truths with an unconnected, uninformed, unconverted heart that's one thing but the other is this don't be one who rejects the king we've been given because he's not the king you wanted or expected he, he does invite us to come boldly before his throne of grace to bring our request to him great and small he delights in giving good gifts to his children He's a good king, but he's the king. And we are his servants. And his purpose is not to make our agenda his. His purpose is to make his agenda ours. And our purpose is to make his agenda for us ours. He doesn't, he, he serves us, he washes our feet, but he does not bow before us as, as one would bow before a king. We bow before him as before a king because that's what he is. He comes into our life as king 
What's one of the things he does? Well, he does a lot of wonderful, great things that we enjoy and and are soothed by and brought to peace by. And But you know what? He also comes into our temple and rearranges the furniture. <laughs> he also comes into our inner sanctum and sets to work sets to putting right what is wrong and it just doesn't happen at the beginning it's just all it's the whole thing isn't it it's the whole life it's that's a part of it and so we we want to see him as he we want to see our king as he is as he is that he that he comes to you know he to to seek and to save that which is lost and to give his life a ransom for many and bring us all these these wonderful things that we enjoy as Christians into our lives but he's also a king and we live to serve him it's not the other way around we live to serve him so we want to see him as he is as he really is and even with all of that knowledge that some of it's going to be seem great to us and some of it's going to be painful to us some of it's going to be hard to us challenge to us but we know that he loves us and he means it for our blessing and he's going to draw good out of bad he's going to make things work out for those who love christ in the end and knowing all of it, we're still going to lay the palm leaves down, lay our coats down, and we're still going to say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, King of kings, Lord of lords. Blessed is he who came in the name of the Lord, and blessed is he who will come again. Uh, Lord God, help us to keep straight in our minds, in our hearts, or maybe even get straight in our minds and hearts, because we haven't been straight on this before, that we live to serve the King of kings and Lord of lords, and that we've been saved and called into, the, into serving the purposes of His kingdom, and that our Master and Lord is just that, Master and Lord master of the circumstances of our lives even when they're not what we wanted not what we hoped for not what we expected not according to our preferences be lord of the church and all who are part of it sovereign in the life of every person grant the believing that they may take your agenda and purposes for their own lives as their own and above all not chafe at it or lose faith because you do not seem to be making their agenda and preference yours increase faith in every believing person here today and grant the beginning stirrings of faith in any who remain outside of Christ and without reason to hope in this world or the next to their eternal blessing to your eternal glory and that our joy would be made full, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.